So today, uh, we're in a, what we call a standalone around here, and that means that there is no, we're, this isn't a part of a series. We just wrapped up our Satan Hates Genesis 1 series, um, which was, was probably one of the, the most just powerful um, s- series that we've had as a church, and um, God did some great things in our church during that series, and, and today we've got this week and the next week we'll hop into our Christmas series uh, called A Calm and Quiet Christmas, but between those two, uh, and whenever we have have these weeks, what I do, I have a note that I keep in my iPad that is just future sermons. And, and so whatever I, what I do uh, on these weeks is I just go back to that note and I just start reading through. There's like 50 or 60 in there. And, and I just ask God, which one do you want me to, to teach on this week? And, uh, and, and so I, I go through and then, and then I see the one that I feel like God wants me to, to preach. And so that's how we got to today. Uh, the, the, this is the one that I felt like God was saying, let's preach on this. And so you saw the text was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it's the story of Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. And what he's doing in this particular part is he is warning the church. It's part of a larger warning of what to look for in false ministry motives. False ministry motives. And this morning what I want to do is I want to give you the three G's of false ministry motives or false preaching motives. And Paul just lays them out pretty clearly. Uh, Motive number one, I'm going to call the growth motive, the growth motive. Uh, Motive number two is the greed motive. And motive number three is the glory motive. So um, growth, greed, and glory. Now, just in case you're wondering, like, well, I'm not in full-time ministry. You know, you're thinking that right now, like, you're not in full-time ministry. Like, why is this important? Well, I think there's, there's four reasons why it's important. First, it is always good for me to preach on these types of things because it's serves as a check on me, a public check and a private check. And obviously, I am very, very human. And so reading and studying texts like this always is good for me. It's good for our staff. It's good for our elders. Uh, and it's good for you. It's good for you to, to know that that's happening. Number two, um, because there's a universal call to ministry. All of us, the priesthood of all believers, all of us have been called to some type of ministry. And so these checks serve on you as well. Uh, Number three, because these same sinful motives will rear their ugly head in every part of life, not just in ministry. And these three motives, these false motives, they're sinful if you're a pastor, they're sinful if you're doing anything else. And and so that's why they're important. And number four, whenever we take a Sunday out to just re-examine and to make sure that we're operating as a healthy church and that our motives are pure, that's always good for all of us. It's always good for all of us because we get to circle back around and go, okay, hold on, what is all of this about? What is all of this about? And in verse 12 of that particular text, Paul reminds us what it is all about. He says this in verse 12. He says, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. This was Paul's statement of what he saw his role as. Now, he makes other statements, but this one kind of sums him up. As a pastor, or the point of ministry, why we meet each and every Sunday, why we do everything else that we do as a church, what is it all about? For me, And for each and every one of you, it's that each of us would walk in a manner worthy of God. Said another way that we would become disciples of Christ. The point of ministry, the point of church, the point of Sunday morning is not to make you guys good church attenders. It's not to make you good citizens. 
It's not to make sure that you live your best life. Some of these things might be natural byproducts of what happens, and God is certainly good to us, but the end aim here is what? Is that we would all walk in a manner worthy of God. That our hearts would be challenged by the gospel that we would repent of sin, that we would run from evil, that we would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and that we would be growing deeper in Christ, that less of us and more of him would be the story for each and every one of us. And so this morning serves as a check for me, for, for you, for all of us on why do we gather Now, Paul, uh, in verse three of the text, he lays out what I'm guessing is what he has seen in false um, ministries or false uh, preaching elsewhere. And and Paul is saying, okay, this is what we didn't do. Uh, And and so we're gonna just see from that uh, the, the warning. He says in verse three, for our appeal does not spring. In other words, the motive, it doesn't start from, it doesn't bounce off of. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Paul is walking through and he's saying there is a a false way of going about life. There's a false way about going about preaching. There's a false way about going about ministry. And you can begin to tell that it's false because it's rooted in one of those three things. Air, bad doctrine, impurity, uh, where you're kind of twisting things with bad motives underneath, or outright deception, where you are manipulating in order to get desired results. So these three things are the tactics that are used. He says, we didn't do that, though. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, this is a statement that should, in all of the right ways, haunt me to the day that I die. To be entrusted with the communication of the gospel. So we speak not to please men, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. In other words, he's saying God already knows the motive and he already knows your motive. He knows my motives and he knows your motives. And one of the most convicting things about being a follower of Christ is that it isn't always just if you do this, then you're good. No, God gets deeper than that, doesn't he? He goes in and he looks and he examines the motives of our heart. He examines the motives for why we do what we do. And we try to hide it from him sometimes, but Paul's reminding us he already knows. But to please God who tests our hearts And then in verse five, Paul gets into what I'll call the three G's of false motives, the the three motivations underneath that end up twisting this beautiful thing that God has created. And so let me walk you through them. The first one uh, is what I'm gonna call the growth trap or the growth motive. And this is how it plays out. He says, for we never came with words of flattery. Words of flattery. One of the last thing, or one of the things that um, uh, kind of emerged a lot over the last few weeks during the Satan Hates Genesis One series is, is people would say uh, things to me like this, like, "Well, I'm glad that you're communicating truth. Thank you for speaking truth. And uh, are you worried about backlash and speaking truth? And and certainly there's a, the, a certain element or or a place where you you always want to make sure that you're communicating truth in a way that honors God. I don't ever want to be offensive. 
hear me out. The gospel can be as offensive as it needs to be. I don't need to be. The, the, the point is not for me to, to stir things up. The point is to just let the gospel be the gospel, right? And so my job is just to, as humbly as I can and as truthfully and as in aligned with scripture, not my personal opinion, just communicate this truth, believing that it is best for people. But Paul says there's another way to do it. And he calls it words of flattery. Now, I call this the growth trap because uh, I think what happens is that these words of flattery come out because the idea underneath is if I use these words of flattery, Paul, and Paul is saying, if you, if you preach with words of flattery, then more people will stick around. If you use, uh, if, you, if, you, if you just avoid certain topics and certain things, then you'll have a better chance of kind of keeping everybody around. I shared with you that, that, that I very somberly watched a, um, a megachurch pastor preaching, and, and in it, he caught himself saying, I'm just trying to communicate this without using the word sin. Now, I can't test the motive of that particular person in that particular moment, but I can say that as I heard it, my heart was caught because it felt like, well, there is no gospel apart from sin. Like, this is just, there's no point of this if we can't communicate that sin is sin. Now, I think there's three types of, um, uh, of this flattery that can work its way in, and I warn us all of this, and, and I walk right through those three things. The first type of flattery is the flattery of bad doctrine, the flattery of bad doctrine. It's bending the gospel to fit into culture instead of seeing that the gospel always cuts into culture, all of us, for all of us. And so the, the first bit of flattery would be, well, let's just throw out a little bit of, um, of tough, hard doctrine. Let's throw that out uh, and, and, then, uh, and then twist it a little bit to sound a little bit nicer. And it's words of flattery. And, and so most recently, probably in our culture over the last 10 to 20 years, that has been a, um, a downgrade um, uh, on the conversation around hell. Like the, the word of flattery, the easiest way to kind of um, uh, to, to teach bad, or bad incorrect doctrine is to either kind of point us to universalism uh, or to uh, universalism being that everyone gets to heaven uh, or, or trying to eliminate the exclusivity of Christ, okay? And then letting those bad doctrines kind of emerge in our churches. And hell is real. And Jesus is the only way. And those who don't bow to King Jesus spend eternity in hell. And that's true doctrine. But you can, you can get into the bad doctrine trap because it's like, well, I, wanna, I don't wanna, I wanna keep. And again, the gospel is supposed to be offensive. We're not, but the gospel is. The second way this begins to work then, or the second one, uh, it's type of words of flattery, I'll call it the impure motive flattery. And this is where um, you just don't confront in order to make it easy to attend and receive. And so in this particular way, you don't necessarily preach bad doctrine, you just ignore certain things. You just ignore them, just don't bring them up. Don't talk about it. Just pretend like it doesn't exist. And if you just don't bring it up and you don't talk about it, uh, then there won't be any confrontation. And I'm not talking about like, like biblical doctrines where you're arguing over which one you think is right. I'm talking about things that are currently confronting culture and saying, well, let's just stay away from those. Well, no, no, we have good doctrine. We have good doctrine. Oh, well, what about these things? Well, we don't talk about that. Well, why not? That's how Satan is working right now. 
We have to talk about it. That's another way of flattery. A third one is this, and this one, I have to be honest, this is probably the one that we most have to watch out for as a church. Most have to watch out for as a church. And, and the third word of flattery I'll say is, is this, it's preaching to the choir. Preaching to the choir. That, that one is actually the one that I think that, that, that we collectively as a church have to make sure that we don't fall into. See, preaching to the choir, we all kind of understand it. There are certain things that I know that I can say on a Sunday and I get riled up and I can use my yelling voice and at the end of it, it might bring an applause and a cheer. That's preaching to the choir. And sometimes it's very appropriate and sometimes it's very okay and sometimes I do yell and it's in the spirit and, and, and it's okay. But we have to make sure, and I have to make sure, that we don't get to a place where um, I just keep saying the same themes over and over that make you guys go, yeah, that's why I'm here. Preach it. And you see, I'll know you're most committed to our church, not when you clap about something I've said that you agree with, but when you remain silent in conviction when I've said something you don't. When I've spoken something that doesn't make you want to stand up and cheer. It makes you want to run out the door and hide. Then we know we're heading in the right direction. And you say, well, are you going to try to offend me? Oh, I won't have to. You're sinful enough. The gospel will do it on its own. You'll get to a point if you stick around long enough where if I'm properly teaching the gospel, no matter how long you've been around, it'll cut to your heart. Remember when Peter got a visit from Paul in Galatians? And Peter had already written some books of the Bible at this point. And Paul shows up and goes, Peter, you forgot the gospel. You forgot the gospel. And it cut Peter to the heart and he repented. And so we got to avoid preaching to the choir and just stirring ourselves up and reminding ourselves that the gospel's got to cut through each of us. This is why every Sunday we show up and we say, God, you got to cut through my heart today. I want to walk in a manner worthy of God. So in, in this then, what do we need to do? Well, in all three of these, we always have to go back to the gospel and we have to begin to let the gospel work. And so one of the things we might have to do in this is just examine our motives again. Examine our motives. And, and for some of you, it might just be like examining your motive again on why you're here. Examining your motive again on, on why do you get involved examining your motive on your whole like Christian engagement and being like, okay, God, like is my heart in the right spot or am I leveraging my Christianity for something? Like, am I doing this out of a different motive than, than wanting to walk in a manner worthy of God and then repenting of any impure motive? And we'll, we'll give a chance for us to do that all at the end when we take communion. And then just simply remembering the gospel. I mean, Christ he was standing in front of this large group, right? And he had this big group in front of him and he preached one of his most difficult messages ever and everybody stood up and cheered and threw money at him. Nope, they all left. They all left, except for a handful. And Jesus goes, y'all leaving too? And they go, we don't have anywhere else to go. That's, that's where I want us to be. I want us to be at a place where when the gospel is preached, we go, man, that hurts. But I got nowhere else to be. Nowhere else to be but in your presence, Christ. Teach me and change me. 
Teach me and change me. As a church, we've got to avoid this. We've got to avoid this, this trap of wanting to fall into words of flattery just to grow. And, and, and growth is a, uh, it's obviously a good thing in the scriptures. The whole book of Acts talks about it and church growth isn't bad. And there's a lot of strategies and a lot of schools of thought and a lot of different things now when it talks about church growth. And, and I knew, because I experienced this kind of in my 20s early on in ministry, that it can become a very poisonous trap. It can And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at growth and want to grow, uh, but it does mean that we always have to go back and check our motives. We always have to make sure that we're willing to repent when we walk down a path we ought not to. And really, when we say that this is God's church, then we ought to be able to trust him for the growth. Say this is going to be on you, not us. Our job is to be faithful with the gospel. Now, at the end of this particular text, the very end, Paul says that he did three things with the believers. He said that he encouraged them, that he urged them, and that he charged them. It's kind of like, a, like, a, like step one, step two, and step three. And the step one, step two, step three, the encourage, the urge, and the charge, they happen in our Christian lives at every, uh, at every different season. And sometimes you're, an early be- you're a new believer, and you just need to be encouraged. Sometimes, though, you can be a super mature believer, and you're in a place where you just need to be encouraged. And then there are other times in our Christian faith where we need to be urged a little bit, right? Like encouragement on steroids. And then there's uh, another moment where we need to be charged, or one, one translation says, insisted upon. Where, uh, where when, when we're walking down this Christian faith, that, that we're like communicating at different levels of strength. And Paul says that this is the role of, uh, of being a pastor, understanding the difference between when is it time to encourage, when is it time to urge, and when is it time to charge. In this particular text, Paul talks about both the pastoral role of both um, uh, let me say it this way. He talks about both the mother nature of God and the father nature of God. I want to say mother nature. I'm not talking about the weather. I'm talking about like the, the mothering nature of God and the fathering nature of God. He, he, he talks about them both. And what Paul is saying is that there's certain times in church and in our relationships one with another where, where what is needed is, a, is like a mom moment. Like, man, you just need a hug. Come on over here. You're beautiful. I love you. You were always my favorite. That was just me, maybe, right? Okay. And mom just gives you a hug. He says, but then there's other moments. There's other moments when, when you need, like, like, dad's coming downstairs with the belt moment. Okay? Or dad's going to be home in an hour, <laughs> and you know what that means moment. There are these different moments, and part of the role of being a pastor and us as elders and as a church is us understanding, is this a, is this a mom-hugging moment, or is this a dad-with-the-belt moment? And figuring out the difference. And by the way, sometimes you're going to be out in the crowd, or you're going to walk in, and you're going to go, man, I see that person, and I know that this is happening, and I knew this happened, and I know that happened. How come they're not pulling out the belt? And it might be easy for you to look out and go, man, I think that person needs a whipping. And I, let me just tell you, you don't know the whole story probably. And you got to trust that Frank, Tom, and I, and our team is aware and seeking God and trying to figure out if this is a hug or a whipping. Okay? And a whipping sounds very extreme. <laughs> we don't ever whip, just to clarify. If this is a a discipline moment or a word of encouragement moment. 
and you in your own life. If you're serious about this faith, you're going to need people in your life who are going to encourage you and people in your life who are going to charge you in different times. And we're going to know, and we need to know that there's different moments where God through his Holy Spirit does this to us. Like, let me say it this way. If you sin and you're making a habit of it and you ain't losing sleep, I'm concerned for you. If you're chasing something that isn't God, if you're continually in a practice that isn't holy, and you're able to just come here every Sunday and go through your week and do what you do and it doesn't bother you at all, we're past encouragement stage. Now it's like charged up time because sin is destructive and it kills. And so at those moments, God in his great love and grace his great love and grace, he disciplines us because he loves us and he wants us to run from sin. Now, let me just say this for a second. Some of you, let me just encourage you. You're coming back to church. Like seriously. And I don't care what drove you here. I don't know why you showed up. I don't know why after 18 months of kind of watching online, you made it back or, or, uh, or maybe after five years of kind of wandering through life and, and something drove you here, the current madness of the day or whatever it might be, but you are here. Great job. Really, I'm proud of you. Keep coming. Keep showing up and let God speak to you. Others of you, you made it back or, or you're kind of been hanging around and you're involved. And let me just urge you a little bit that there was more for you. God has something else for you. Like there might be a next step at some point to take because you do have a spiritual gift. There's something that God has given you. Our church is incomplete until you're operating in the fullness of your gift and be aware and alert to what God might be doing. And others of you, let me just charge you for a second. Maybe you've grown stale. Maybe what was once a, um, a, a vibrant faith, a life that was committed to Christ and committed to the gospel, and you woke up every day and you thought, how am I going to serve him today, has grown stale, but you know better, and just take today as a wake-up call and a reminder that God has got something for you. So let's wake back up, because this gospel is needed right now. We got the good news. We have the message of hope and redemption. And we need you as we walk it out together. That's number one. That's number one. Number two. Number two. This one's fun. Paul says, as you know, well, on the flattery part, he goes, you guys know we didn't use words of flattery. And then he says, second, nor did we come with a pretext for greed. And then he says, God is witness. Why? Well, because greed's down here. Because you can't look in in someone's life and say, oh, that person's greedy. You can't look in and say, oh, that, look at the car that person buys. That person is greedy. No, you can't do that. Look at the clothes. They, no, that per, no, no, no. Greed is in the heart. Greed is in the heart. There's just as much greedy people, as many greedy people making minimum wage as there are making millions. Greed is in the heart. Greed's in the heart. And so he says, God is our witness. We didn't come to you with the pretext 
for greed. And by the way, these things stack on each other often in ministry because it's like, okay, let's use words of flattery because then we'll grow. And if we grow, then more people will show up. And if more people show up, then they'll give more and then we'll have more money. And all three of these things kind of work together. And so in this one, in greed, we can also use the same three tactics. And we can use these same three tactics from a ministry preaching perspective, or you can use these same three tactics in your own life and heart. The first one is bad doctrine. Bad doctrine. Bad doctrine that is rooted in greed. In our current culture, this is most known as the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, um, which I'm not going to try to like teach on the whole prosperity gospel, but, but, but the idea that, that God pretty much exists to just give me financially what I want. And there's a few prayers that we pray and there's a few things that we bank on. And, and if you look down at it, what is the end aim of it all? That you get more. That you get more. You get more. And that's the end aim at the bottom of it. And we cloak it in faith and Christianity. But at the end desire, what is underneath there is I want more. And instead of using a worldly tactic to do it, I'll use a spiritual tactic to do it. Okay? And so this, this is bad doctrine. Now, there is good doctrine. There is good doctrine and good understanding about how faithful God is. And I am not going to negate that. In fact, I'll talk about it here in a little bit. But that's, that's the bad doctrine. Then there's impure motives. Impure motives. Uh, impure motives, we can do this either as a church or we can do this as individuals. Impure motives can be, well, I think I'm going to give a little this month because isn't there like some kind of like tenfold return thing? So I'll like write a little check. We'll see how this goes. God, and then you just wait for the mail, right? I'm going to give because again, God will give me back a better re return on my investment. Impure motives from a teaching perspective can be, uh, we can teach in such a way where you, um, where you, you like line up certain doctrines in such a way, but the end aim of those is the church saying, and then we'll get more. Then we'll get more. And that's where the church then has to say, okay, hold on, I gotta be careful. Why are we doing this thing? Why are we teaching this thing? Why are we saying this thing? Is this about walking in a manner worthy of God or getting more? And then we can use outright deception. We can use outright deception in our own hearts. We can use outright deception in our own teaching techniques. And again, at the end aim of it is let's get more. I want more. Outright deception sometimes uh, in the church can look like um, emotionally driven pitches. Or uh, this one, you know, if y'all just gave more, we'd buy a new whatever. And, I, and I've always said this, by the way, the, the only time, uh, I'll say this now, and, I, and, and this is our intention right now, the only time we ever around here ask for money above and beyond what you guys normally give is if we have a building project. And so someday if we ever have to build on, we got a long time before that, then, then we'll probably ask. Okay, other than that, we're just going to keep doing what we do each and every week, and you guys are great. And the Holy Spirit will prompt you as he does. But if you're waiting for us to come and sit down and present some kind of like, you know, like beautiful picture of this and this and this, that's not going to happen. Like, why? Because I want you to give because God told you to. Okay? Not because I motivated you to do so. Now, that's kind of how it works. So what do we do? We have to always go back to the gospel. We always got to go back to the gospel. In our own generosity, we have to challenge our own motives. Why are we doing this? In our ministry, we have to challenge our motives. Why are we doing this? We have to look at the cross again and see Christ. 
Christ who was never driven by greed. Christ who, when he had the large crowd and he could have probably asked them for anything and they would have laid it at his feet, instead gave them a tough teaching so that they'd all walk away and he'd be there with nothing. Christ whose blood was literally the payment of our sins, who poured himself out completely and wholeheartedly for us. A complete opposite of a greedy leader. And individually and both corporately as a church, we need to make sure that we're always checking ourselves on this, every single one of us. Paul says we, we didn't do anything with the pretext of greed. In another text, Paul makes it clear that what you wanted to completely avoid any um, uh, um, uh, ability to be labeled in this way. And we have to do this. Ministry, I know personally for, for, for Lindsay and I, this is very important. Uh, that, that, that we kind of lay out a course for our own lives to make sure that we never get driven by money as it relates to the size of the church. One of the ways we practice to, to do that um, is, is by practicing our tithe. Both the money we make inside the church and the money that we make outside of the church. One of the reasons that we pursue income outside of the church is so that we don't become a burden to you guys inside of the church. I grew up with a mentor who would publish his salary every year, okay? Every year, he'd publish his salary. And um, at that time, he was leading the 52nd largest church in the country, okay? By far the largest church in town, and he would publish his salary. Why? Because he wanted everybody to know, this is not driven by money. This is not driven by money. I think it's important I think it's important in our culture that we remind ourselves the church isn't a business. That we have to operate differently. That our motives have to be pure. And this is true outside of ministry, friends. What drives you? Why do you make the decisions you make? Why do you, how do you handle what you have, how you handle it? What is what is driving it underneath? And for all of us, I, I know I, every once in a while I get up at the end, I say every once in a while because sometimes I forget. Uh, I say, uh, if you want to give at the end, you can put a cash or check in the box. We just trust the Holy Spirit to give you a, a consistent giving pattern. And, and we do. We trust the Holy Spirit to, to create a consistent giving pattern. And as I mentioned earlier, for Lindsay and I, for 15 years, not for both of us 15 years because we've only been married for five, but uh, for me for 15 years and then us as a couple for five years, that has just been this practice of tithing. And I can say in that, from 15 years of experience, God's amazing. Just amazing. I mean, every single time. Every time. And, and, and I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who, um, who just, I think, recently started tithing. And he said, you know what's amazing? I don't even miss it anymore. And I say that. Because God has this way that when we hand this over to him, he doesn't just change our budget. He changes who we are. And it has this way of, of, of stifling this great thing in our hearts. But you know what? Even for some of us who got into the habit of tithing or giving, let me challenge us a little bit. Sometimes we can get to this place where we're doing that and we think, okay, I got this whole thing figured out, so God, don't talk to me about this anymore. And then what we can do is we can have that figured out and then we can start layering our greed on top of our tithe. Okay. Don't do that either. Greed can challenge the heart, whether you're given a bunch or a little. 
okay? Greed's powerful and it wants its way in. So what do we do? We go back to the gospel. We remember, we remember Christ laying it out for us. And then let me just encourage a little bit. Let me encourage some of you who have shown back up to church and you're like, man, I haven't, I haven't done this in a while. I haven't been here in a while. I, I'm still kind of figuring it out and getting like my church training wheels back on and all of this kind of stuff. And you're here. And the idea of giving to a church is so foreign and so crazy to you. Let me just challenge you to your Netflix account, $14.95 a month. Seriously. Like, just let God start something in you. Just let him start something in you. Others of you, let me urge you a little bit. Let me urge you in, um, uh, in knowing and have seen God's faithfulness over time, but having maybe become afraid because of the current economic reality, or now you're worried about hyperinflation, or, uh, or you're looking at the market on Friday and you're like, whoa, we're going back the other way, and there's something inside of you that's getting scared again. And let me just urge you uh, a little bit to just remain faithful and to trust God in this area. And then some of us, let me just, let me charge you up a little bit. Let me charge you up that, 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 that the kingdom is the most important endeavor that we will ever put our lives to. That God uh, um, ha- has blessed us so much immensely. I mean, I say this kind of as a collective thing and that what should drive our hearts is now that he's given to me, how can I pour out on others? How can I advance the kingdom of God? How can I leverage who I am and what I have been given for his name and not my own? Let me charge some of you to to begin to examine again, God, what role do you want me to play in in funding your kingdom, in serving the poor, in remembering those? Have I gotten my priorities mixed up a little bit? Have I started running another direction? uh, Has something gotten more important to me than the eternal kingdom? And let me just use this as a reminder to you. You've seen God's faithfulness over the years. He will remain, whatever that might look like. And just kind of step back into allowing God to work in this area of your life. Number three. Number three. Now, again, these all build on each other. Often they do. They can stand independent, but often they build. So you use words of flattery, and then you grow. And then this idea of like, oh, man, the more people we get, the more we have. And then the more people we have and the more money we have, then the glory one comes in. And then it's like, look at us. Look at us. Look what we've done. This is, personally... This is why I stopped going to church conferences, if I'm being honest, because I just saw this pattern playing out. And the people who got to stand on stage were the people who grew the most and who got the most money as a church, and then they got to be on stage and their name became famous. I haven't shared this with a lot of you, but when I was 19 years old, I sat down with um, the guy who would become my boss and mentor, and he said, why are we here today? I was 19 years old. Somebody kick me for my hubris, please. I said, why are we here today? And he said, I said, because I want your job someday. I was 19. The only job I deserved was whatever, cleaning the church, Okay. And thankfully, he just laughed and said, well, we'll see about that. (laughs) And in that next season of my life, God had to crucify that personal quest for glory in me. Oh, and he used the crucible to do it. Oh, and I'm so glad that he did. And it can be so easy for us, friends, whether it is in ministry or in anything else we do, 
Our entire social media platforms are typically built around this. How do I advance my name? How do I get it? How do I build my platform? How do I leverage my network? How do I make sure that more people know who I am? And the quest for glory is the ultimate affront to God. Because the quest for glory is, let's make this about me. Let's make what I do, let's make what you do about you. And I was with a, a different mentor, not the one that I keep referencing. I was with a different mentor this week for lunch, and, uh, and I hadn't talked to him in a long time. And we were just kind of chatting and going back and forth. And he said, did I ever tell you my ego thing? And I was like, no, teach me. I'm young, I'm stupid, teach me. And he said, um, the word ego. He said, I wake up every day and I remind myself the word ego can mean two things. The first thing it can mean is edging God out. And I can wake up and I can make my life about me and I can make my business about me and I can make everything that happens about me and I can be me, 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 me. And when I'm doing me, 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 I'm just edging God out. He said, or I can wake up every day and I can, the other one, exalt God only. I can exalt God only. And I can wake up every day and I can say, God, today, this is about you. Everything I'm doing is about you. I'm going to preach for you. Uh, we're going to lead for you. You're going to do what you do, not for you, but for him. You're going to exalt God only with everything that you are. And anything in you that becomes back about you, 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 you're going to let the Holy Spirit come in and the gospel come in. And sometimes you're just going to need to be encouraged out of it. And sometimes you're going to need to be urged out of it. And sometimes you're going to need to be charged out of it. Because you got to run from it. And other times it's just going to be a quick reminder like, hey, you're doing a good job. Keep going. And so for some of us in this, mo in this morning, like, yeah, let me encourage you. Like you're taking steps and your heart is starting to open up and you read the Bible. You actually read through the daily dig before you swiped left and deleted it. The other, good job. Keep going. Now, those of you, let me just urge you, like keep pressing in. Don't stall. Don't stop. There's more of him to experience. Like, I don't care how long you've been doing this. The, the, the well is deep. Keep going after him. And some of us, let me just charge you with two things. Some of you, you have been and you have walked through the stage of encouragement and urging and you're at the charge stage and the sin needs to stop. It's killing you. And you will never walk in the fullness of what God has for you if you hold on to it. So let it go. Crucify it. As Paul tells us to do, crucify the sinful nature, lay it down at the cross, and let God's love break in and break through it. And others of you, let me charge in this way. God has got some work for you to do. He's got some work for you to do. And in a moment, if he triggers your heart to pour the same amount of energy and the same amount of, of maybe what you've been pouring somewhere else in on your pursuit into his pursuit, and sometimes they might look the same. He's just gonna cloak over it or under it, however you wanna look at that. But if you begin to surrender that to him, he's gonna come in and supercharge something because he's got work for you to do. He's got work for you to do. Oh, and keep pressing in all of us. Oh, why? Because even the king of kings, Christ, came down, and what did he do? 
He didn't edge God out. Oh, he exalted God only. He went to the cross, the king of kings, the one who is worthy of it all, the one who is worthy of glory, Jesus. And he went to the cross and he laid it all down. And instead of doing that, he took on on all of our sin and shame and guilt and punishment upon himself so that he would exalt his father only. What an example. And then, oh, that same king Jesus raised from the grave, rose from the grave rose up to heaven. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is worthy of it all, friends. He's worthy of all of the praise, all of the honor, all of our hearts. He's worthy of us to examine our motives, to check our hearts, and to sing him incredible praise for how good he is. And so let's take communion. Let's take it today as a check. Let's take it today as an encouragement. Let's take it today as a charge. Let's take it today as an urging, whatever it is that you're needed in today. Go ahead and grab it. If you need one, Michael, we'll get it to you. Go ahead and just raise your hand. I think we all got it. If you're a follower of Christ, you're more than welcome to join us this morning, regardless if this is your first time at our church or not. If you're a follower of Jesus, yeah, participate with us. We believe the, the bread to represent the body of Christ. We believe the juice to represent the blood of Christ, the body broken for us, the blood, the payment for our sins. So first, let's hold the wafer in our hand, the bread, and go ahead and break that. And go ahead and partake of the bread. Go ahead and grab now the juice. Oh, and Father, as we think about the juice and the blood of Christ shed for us, the payment for our sins, we take a moment and repent of any sin. Check our hearts. Father, I pray that you would give a spiritual unrest tonight. Lord, I pray that you would love everyone in this room so much that if they are caught in sin, they would not get a good night's sleep until they face you with it. And Father, I pray that as they do, that they would come so overwhelmed with the grace that you pour out, that they would feel the freedom of walking in truth that they would know the joy that there is no condemnation in Christ for those who have been called by you, Lord. Oh, man, that they would experience that the moment they turn to you and repent. But drive them toward it today, Father. Go ahead and take the juice. So, Father, we thank you that you love us enough to have given us your gospel, to challenge us to examine the motives of our heart, to always be looking in, to know that this process of sanctification is never over, but there is always more of our sinful nature to be stripped away. 
I pray that you would continue to do so, that we would walk in a manner worthy of God and remember that you, Father, you, Son, you, Spirit, you are worthy of all of our praise and all of our lives. And so we sing this song to you today as a reflection of our acknowledgement of your goodness, your holiness, and who you are. Thank you for how good you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.